Yeah, we were uh, thinking about what to name this, and we had a list of names. You're mm-hmm. actually usually a really good namer, but I, I usually like... just defer to Joel. Well, you guys had quite a few written down, so there must at least be like two or three top contenders for a new Highway to Heaven podcast. And I felt like it really came down into two camps. One was puns using the words Highway to Heaven, and one was more functional. The only pun one that I really enjoyed was My Way or the Highway to Heaven. That's pretty catchy. The one that keeps sticking out for me is uh, Highway to Heaven Revisited. Mm -hmm. I thought was, you know, decent. Highway to Heaven Explained, I think, was one of the ones that I ended up liking, just because it seemed that might be the function of this. Uh During the brainstorming process, I kept thinking of, like, you know, what are are things that you find on the highway, like a rest stop? The only other person I asked was my sister, Sarah, and she liked the Highway to Heaven Rest Stop, but I don't know. Is there some sort of more attractive name for what a rest stop is? Because, like... I think this show might be relaxing and a nice diversion while uh, exploring the highway to heaven. But, you know, the rest stop implies I really yeah. need to go pee or something. Like highway to heaven, and a scenic vista or yeah. historical <laughs> Yeah, historical, 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 historical marker, landmark. scenic scenic vista. Yeah, I do like marker. the sentiment of that. I like the sound of the lost highway to heaven, but I think that brings up too many, you know, that you just think of lost highway. Well, I mean, that's not a terribly bad thing. Yeah. Lost highway to heaven. We would be uncovering episode by episode exactly what did occur on Highway to Heaven, Mm -hmm. this show that I think probably still has quite a following in reruns, but it's just not really at the forefront anymore. So I I, I think Lost Highway to Heaven is also an attractive name for this podcast. We've been recording for a minute or so, so let me just take this moment to say, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the brand new podcast all about Highway to Heaven with your hosts, Rachel Meyer and Joel Luters. My name is Sam Hine, and I'll be the moderator of this program. Joel and Rachel are going to explore in as much detail as they see fit, ladies and gentlemen, uh, about what occurs episode to episode in the classic Michael Landon TV series, Highway to Heaven. And I'm going to be there with them every step of the way. And I might have a lot of questions because here's the deal, people. They're going to watch the show, and then they're going to tell me what happens on the show because I am, I'm not going to watch the show. Not because I'm opposed to watching the show, but I just think it would be really funny for everybody if I don't watch the show and I end up with this weird imaginary version of Highway to Heaven in my brain that'll constantly be like recalibrated by uh, you two. And I think that that might be what's potentially pretty exciting about this uh, podcast idea. I think that might have been Michael Landon's vision. He just didn't quite uh, know it at the time. That The show gets watched and then explained. I was going to start the program by asking you guys what your perceptions are of highway to heaven to begin with and joe you were well on your way so please continue yeah as a child the theme song to highway to heaven would come on and that signified the end of saturday morning cartoons uh and at the start of a to me as a probably a eight-year-old kid a boring show was about to begin and it always kind of threw me off because the intro showed michael landon walking around who looked like an aged rock and roller which looked cool, but then like hitchhiking and walking down the street. And then the show would be just something really slow. And I tried to, many times to watch it and to get into it, but I never could. For years, Highway to Heaven just meant end of fun. It's time for like church. Okay. Interesting. Rachel, uh, tell us about your perspective on uh, Highway to Heaven and uh, what your entomology is as a Highway to Heaven viewer. Growing up in the early 1980s, we watched quite a bit of Highway to Heaven in my household. And I just remember seeing the star of Highway to Heaven, Michael Landon, and immediately recognizing Pa Ingalls. 
who is a pivotal figure in my life, being um, the father on Little House on the Prairie, which is another excellent TV series and also a good book series that I was really raised on. So I have very warm, good memories about watching Highway to Heaven with the family growing up. Haven't watched it in years. I do have one memory of as an early adult catching a late night rerun of Highway to Heaven, sitting up by myself, don't remember the context or what was going on, but I do remember being moved to tears by this particular episode of Highway to Heaven. I don't remember quite what the episode was, so we'll see if we run into it somewhere along the line here and it sparks a memory. But again, haven't watched the show for years, but I have very warm memories surrounding it. Excellent. And for me, I might have, being another child of the 80s, I I might have seen a certain amount of Highway to Heaven. I feel like this was a show that was a pretty good bet to be on in my grandmother's house. And um, I didn't really have anything against it, but I was probably more interested in, like, wishing there was more He-Man on the the TV or uh, more Transformers or, you know, Silverhawks, Brave Star, you know, literally any uh, cartoon that was blowing my mind at the time. And if uh, stuff wasn't on the TV like that, I was probably playing with my Star Wars guys in the corner somewhere being six years old. I will say this. I think I have a pretty good admiration for Michael Landon as a creator and a a real television stalwart. From what I know, he started on Bonanza or uh, it was either Gunsmoke. It was Gunsmoke. Let's just say it was Gunsmoke. He was on Gunsmoke. It was like his first TV show. But he learned literally everything about making TV he possibly could while he was working on Gunsmoke, which led to Little House on the Prairie show, uh, which of course led to the Highway to Heaven show. Here's what my perceptions of Michael Landon are from my memory. Michael Landon always had a really good haircut, very handsome man, and he was always my favorite part of both of these shows that we've mentioned. I find myself not feeling so good inside as a viewer when Michael Landon isn't on screen. Michael Landon, to me, is a very comforting presence on television, uh, and he seems like everybody's dad, and you want to listen to him, you want to obey him, you trust him. And I got to tell you, maybe I didn't watch a lot of Highway to Heaven because I couldn't stomach some of like the real like hard-hitting episodes of Little House in the Prairie sort of scarred me from wanting to watch Highway to Heaven because there would be at points where like Michael Landon wouldn't be on the screen and then like a big sister, she goes blind and it's yeah. like a horror movie. And then one of the little kids is like falling down a hole and is like trapped by herself for hours. And I really never felt good unless Michael Landon was in the scene on the show and everything else was terrifying me. Maybe that has a little to do with why I wasn't drawn to watch Highway to Heaven. What I hear you saying is you were just really concerned that the big sister from Little House on the Prairie was possibly going to show up on Highway to Heaven. And everybody wants less screen time with her. I think we can all acknowledge that. Yeah, yes. And if, you, if anybody listening is not familiar with Michael Landon, I would say do yourself a favor and go Google early Michael Landon because he is a very attractive man. Oh, yes, he I is. I think we can all appreciate that. Very handsome. Yes. Joel, agree or disagree? Michael Landon is a handsome man. Oh, 100%. Great. 100%. I'm glad we all agree on this. Yeah. So let's really get into the nitty gritty of it. I understand that the opening two episodes of the show are essentially like a pilot movie for Highway to Heaven. So the first episode is a two-part show, and I think uh, I don't I don't see any reason why we shouldn't get into it right now. Sounds good. Come on, come on now. What is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss, Scott. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this. 
Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Luders. With moderator, Sam Hine. Welcome back to the Highway to Heaven podcast with your hosts, Rachel Meyer and Joe Luters. I am your moderator, Sam Hine, and we're going to get right into it. Let's talk about episode one. What happens, guys? After the uh, the introduction of the show, uh, shows Michael Landon walking down the highway. A truck comes by. He holds out his thumb to get picked up, and uh, he meets an old man we learn is named Clyde. The old man uh, asks him... How much money do you have? Oh, yeah. He's he a asks cranky, oh. cranky he goes, old fellow. Yeah, he's cranky. He says, like, yeah, I'll give you a ride, but how much money you got? Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's not like, hey, nice haircut, get in my car and start your TV show. This old guy Clyde he wants to at least get some gas money he wants money and Michael Landon's kind of like confused and a little indignant and Clyde says to him nothing's free in this world pal to which uh Michael Landon otherwise known as Jonathan is his is his character's name oh yes that was going to be one of my first questions is what is the name of Michael Landon's character on Highway to Heaven Jonathan Smith and this is this is where Jonathan Smith really this is the very beginning of what what I think is the, the one of the greatest things so far about mm-hmm. Jonathan Smith are his one-liners. Okay, wait a second, Joel. Uh-huh. I think I'm going to be the cranky old guy, and I'm going to say the line, and then you say Michael. Oh, Jonathan's line. Okay? You got okay. it. All right. Go ahead. So I'm I'm cranky old guy who doesn't want to give Jonathan a ride. Nothing's free in this world. Kindness is. That is a hard land and burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is about the first, what, 30 seconds of the show? Ooh. So we're getting a, a pretty old, solid introduction. Okay. Then the old man replies like, well, what world do you live in? Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. then speeds off. But wait, a hundred yards down the road, the old truck comes to a sudden stop. It appears to have broken down. Oh my. Yeah. So uh, good old Jonathan just keeps on walking down the road and says hello to the man again and asks him if he can take a look at his truck. And what's his name, Clyde? I just Clyde. wrote cranky old man. Clyde goes, I know this truck. He doesn't this is want my to truck. Look. No one can work. Mm-hmm. You can't work on this. I, you can't fix this. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Go ahead. So he takes a look and we don't really see what Jonathan does. But the next thing we know, he tells Clyde to give it a shot. Oh, yeah. What do you think happens? Does he just kind of like open up the hood yep. and just kind of like reach in his hand to like to, to the elbow and move his wrist a couple times? And he's like, yeah, that should be good. We don't see him. I believe he gets covered up by the hood. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you literally just see him open up the hood and then he just like, yeah, I don't know, what would he do? Yes. Like maybe he scratches his nose right. and waits until there's en- enough time has passed where he puts down the hood. Right. <laughs> okay. give, it a, give it a shot. And uh, he starts it up. And it starts. It starts right up. Yep, no problem. And uh, Clyde's a little, like, a little miffed, but also a little happy, a little confused. Well, he should be. Yeah. Because, I mean, let's face it, I don't want to spoil Highway to Heaven for anybody, but I'm pretty sure that the whole conceit is, like, Michael Landon's character is an angel, right? Clyde is anti-pacifist, so he deserts Michael Landon on the road, so then Michael Landon's like, I'm an angel, I'm going to shut off your car for you, and then I'm going to walk up to your car, and I'm going to pretend to fix your car and just turn it back on with my angel magic, and you're going to give me a ride. Does he get a ride from the old man? Correct, yeah. Correct, and he says to him, uh, thanks for your kindness. 
Yeah, yeah. So we, we've got some pretty heavy hitting intro to what this show is going to be about. And I think there's one more part where Clyde comes in is after he gets the ride. Oh, yeah. They take him to Havencrest. Yep. So he drops him off in front of Havencrest, which is a nursing home, which we don't call nursing home anymore, but that's what, what they do we it call there. them? We would call that a long term care or skilled nursing facility. Clyde drops him off in front of a long term care facility. Correct. I think Jonathan says something at this point about the truck. Mm-hmm. He yes. says, you treat it nice, it'll treat you nice. A truck is like anything else. You treat it nice, and it'll treat you nice. See you again, Clyde. Yep, so he's saying he's going to see him another time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's kind of uh, a little ominous. I is there anything, a little weird. Is there anything to be read in about whether or not Michael Landon just has control of Clyde's car for the rest of eternity? He's like, I turned your car into an Angel Christine, so be nice, otherwise I'll just shut it off and turn it on willy-nilly. I didn't see that. Okay. I feel like it's possible. With See You Again, Clyde, I just kept thinking he's going to bump into this guy. He's coming back. So Michael Landon is there in front of the Hillcrest long-term facility. I'm wagering to bet that he's got some business there. That's correct. He goes into the main office and basically says like, hey, I hear that you're looking for a new gardener. I'd like to apply for the job. And they're like, we haven't put that in the newspaper yet. How do you know? And he said, oh, I was just down at the newspaper and heard about it and figured early bird gets the worm. So he's talking to the administrator, Mr. Haskins, who is another just surly fellow who is not at all happy about having Jonathan come in and apply for this job that he apparently needs filled but doesn't want people coming in to apply for. So he asked Jonathan for his references. And Jonathan, as an angel, he doesn't have any references. We'll need some references, of course. Yeah, well, that'll take me a little while to round up. I'm from back east. Well, you can't expect me to hire you without references. Did your last man have references? Of course. Well, where's he? What? The last man. Where's Where's he now? I fired him. What for? Because he was lazy. He wouldn't work. Just goes to show references don't mean everything. <laughs> Mr. Smith, I don't believe this conversation's getting us anywhere. Our policy is... I'm willing to work the first month without any pay. If you like my work after that, I go on salary. You're willing to work the month without pay? That's right. If I don't do the job, you just say adios. Don't lose a thing. All right. I'll give it a try. Thank you, sir. Miss Gordon, would you show Smith where the utility room is? Yes, sir. I would also assume that he promises to work for free for a month because he's an angel and he's a magic being and he doesn't actually need to buy sandwiches or eat them. So he could just afford to work for free because money doesn't actually apply to his ability to live. Absolutely. And there is another character that we haven't talked about who's in the office this whole time. And her name's Leslie. She's some kind of a nursing assistant or nurse. And as far as I can tell, those are actually the only two people that work in the nursing home because those are the only two people we see. I would have to say that that is a fiendishly understaffed long-term care facility. Is this an actress that you remember seeing in other television shows of the era? Is this somebody who's still famous? No, not that I could recall. All right, so I would assume that pretty closely after the Mr. Haskins scene, there's a commercial of some sort. And when we get back, does Michael Landon already have the job? He does, and Leslie's showing him around the property. Is he wearing coveralls? No. 
he's wearing jeans and the leather jacket and I believe just a white t-shirt. Great. Yeah, I think it was like a light blue t-shirt. Just a t-shirt, Kind of like yeah. a low, not a v-neck, but a, a little like bit low. It had a low, big, yeah. big neck. A bit of a scoop on the neckline. Okay. She's showing him around and she's unlocking the tool shed and stuff that he needs. Leslie is showing him the ropes. She's opening up this old shed and what is she saying, Joel? A hundred years ago, people didn't need locks. Times change. Yeah, and this is another Jonathan quote. I think he's the one who says, she said times change, right? Yeah, she's like, oh yeah, look, I got to lock up this place. Times change. He's like, a hundred years ago, we didn't need locks like this. It's people that change. Mm -hmm. People change. We stop trusting each other. What's Michael Anna trying to tell us right now? I think he's, you know, just really setting himself up for later quotes that have to do with trust. Okay. Would you say that so far in this episode, every time they give Michael Alandon a line, they're trying to like really swing for the fences here? Yes. I don't know if I actually said this or just thought this, but I really feel like if someone wants to set up an Instagram account or something and just post only inspirational quotes from Jonathan in Highway to Heaven, mm-hmm. there's really a market for that. When was the first season of Highway to Heaven? 1980? I think it was. 84. I just checked recently. I Great. believe it was 84. 1984. Yes. So the height of the Cold War, there's still a Berlin Wall. These millennials these days don't even understand that there weren't even DVD players in the back of vans at the time. You know, people change. Is there any romantic overtones to this? We're not quite there yet, but I did just realize while they were unlocking the tool shed, he was asking her if she knew anywhere to rent, to live, because he needs a place to stay. And then she actually said there is a apartment available in my complex. So she says, just come walk home with me at the end of the shift and I'll show you the apartment. So then I can only assume that something narratively occurs to Michael Landon in the middle of doing his job on the first day. Is that the next scene? I believe the next scene is in Estelle's room. Does that Ooh. sound right to you? I've written down uh, two old ladies in a room. Yes, Estelle is the first old lady. She's in denial about getting old and keeps speaking about her daughter is going to come back from Europe to visit her and take care of her and get her out of this place. She speaks very disparagingly about the other old folks. Like, ah, oh, these are all old, confused people. Uh, not me. I'm young and vibrant. She's kind of a jerk. Does she have the mental capabilities that she purports to? Is she lucid? As far as we can tell, yes. Okay. We'll find out. The majority of the residents at this nursing home seem to actually be in very good health. Oh, interesting. She probably is in her 70s, you know, attractive older woman, curly white hair. But just to say why he was in Estelle's room, he fixes something. I think it was an air conditioner. Estelle says no one could fix it. The old handyman couldn't fix it. Well, that's because he was too lazy. Right, right. It's the truck all over again. He maybe just turns and looks at it and we don't quite see what he's doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then you know it's working. You just got to be nice to it and it'll be nice to you. I feel like that's going to be a staple as a viewer of this television program is you guys are going to have people introduce their problems to Michael Landon. And while the camera is still on them, you'll see Michael Landon turn around to a piece of machinery and then the camera is going to cut back to anybody, whatever community he ends up in. And then the next time the camera turns to Michael Landon, he's going to flick a switch and things are going to be fixed. That's how angel magic works. Yeah, I think that's in the Bible. Agreed. Okay, so good to know. Estelle, despite like her hating all of her peers, she at least has air conditioning to be a crotchety old bat in her room. Now we're moving on to some gardening. The next thing that happens is I believe Jonathan goes and starts planting flowers all over the quadrangle. It's a nursing home. We call it a quadrangle. (laughs) 
Yes, lots uh, of flowers around the quadrangle. All right, so he's and walking around the quadrangle. What variety of flowers, just for my own sort of Yellow, imaginary bright. version? I think they're mums. Do you know what mums are? They're like the smaller, yeah. kind of compact orange-yellow. A lot of petals, very yeah. small petals, a very dense sort of blossom. It's kind of like a little puff. It's like a baseball. Yes. Okay, so he's planting mums around the quadrangle. Uh, someone tells him that it's a waste of time. What he's doing is a waste of time. Is this an old? Is an old person saying this a, is a waste of time? Was this one of the older men, Mr. Or was this Mr. Haskins? Mm-hmm. It was Mr. Haskins who the hired him? Said, you know, this is a waste of time. This place is going to get sold soon. <laughs> so why are you trying to make it look nice? Oh man, Mr. Haskins. Yeah. This guy is hard to read because at the beginning he was like, "I need somebody to do this." You're planting flowers. I gave you this job, but what you're doing is a waste of time because I'm going to sell this place. Honestly, I think in some ways it's a limit of being able to empathize with Mr. Haskins' plight because I think things like that come up in people who are struggling in between a position because you want somebody that's reliable and a go-getter. But then when that person's actually trying to perform their duties in that way, it's like, wait a minute, you know, this place is being sold. It's complicated. It is complicated. But, you know, I can only imagine that Michael Landon, after hearing the news of the place getting sold, he's, you know, he's found his purpose. You are on to something. He needs to save some people. He needs to save these people at the long-term care facility so that they have the ability to walk around the quadrangle and enjoy his chrysanthemums. Mm-hmm. Also, Mr. Haskins is unhappy and asks him where he got all the flowers, because that's certainly not in the budget. There's no money in our budget for flowers. Oh, no, these didn't cost anything. They were free from a friend of mine. All of this? Yeah, much as we need. One thing my friend's got is lots of flowers. Why, well, I, uh, I gotta run. Waste of time. When the place is sold, it'll be torn down anyway. So this is the first reference to the great almighty, really. Yeah. I mean, we can only presume that his friend is the guy upstairs. We should maybe uh, consider keeping track of this, how many different phrases they use for this friend, for this boss, this person upstairs. You might have just said them all. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry if I ruined the adventure for us. So when Mr. Haskins is getting all surly up in his mug at the quadrangle, does he wreck any of Michael Landon's shit while he's, like, demeaning him? He is overheard by some of the residents, which I think was unintentional. You could see it affect them and dishearten some of the older residents. But they do find themselves enjoying Michael Landon's company. Oh, yes. Definitely. Almost everyone does. Not everybody at the no. long-term care facility is interested in Michael Landon being here. Well, we're actually going to move away from the long-term care facility. Oh, yes. We were at Lindsay's apartment, correct? Mm-hmm. Leslie. Yes. So they walk back to the apartment, and it's not an apartment building like we're probably all thinking of. It's more like a series of little houses. It's all one story, kind of like a motel setup with a bit of a grassy area in the center, sort of a U-shape. Strip mall slash one-floor motel. Yep. I can see it in my mind. But so she actually was planning on him meeting the manager, and the manager is not there when they get back to the apartments. Angel magic. Right, right. So I believe she offers to let him just wait in her apartment. Oh, yeah. You can just yeah. come over to my place, Michael Landon, while the manager's not here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, whoa, that is such a weird coincidence. I'm an angel. Okay, so they go into her apartment. How hot and steamy does this get, guys? Not hot and steamy at all, because there's someone in her apartment. There is. There's already someone there. Oh. Her brother, Mark, who'd just gotten fired for fighting. 
And for any of our Little House on the Prairie fans, Mark is played by Victor French, who is also a longtime character, neighbor on Little House on the Prairie. Very recognizable character. Obviously, for the pilot episode, he's going to be pulling from that pool of actors that he's worked with in his long, illustrious career up to this point. But, you know, I'm sure that as a fan of Little House on the Prairie, was this a comforting presence for you? I mean, initially, yes, but then he's not the most likable character at the start. So I was having a hard time managing my feelings. All right. Well, Dang. A, I mean, the thing is, he was a former cop for over a dozen years. Victor French or uh, Leslie's brother in the narrative? I wish it was Victor French. Okay. So Victor what? French was not a cop. Before no, but, he became uh, an actor. Leslie's brother, Mark. I think he was a cop. Let's just start that rumor. I love it. Victor French was a cop. You know, he saw the worst of humanity, and it, bro- it seemed to have broken his spirit. He can't hold down a job. He's kind of teetering on the line of alcoholism, I think. When we first meet him, he's sitting in a chair, drinking a beer, and he says, I think Leslie offers Jonathan something to drink, and Mark says, this is the last beer, something like that. Nice. So So he's a freeloading, cranky, Mm -hmm. self-hating alcoholic. Is he smoking inside? No. No. Okay, he's not smoking cigarettes inside, which a lot of people did on television shows in the 80s. Yes. It wouldn't have surprised me. So let's give it to Victor French. At least he loves his sister enough not to light a cigarette in the house. He respects her apartment. Mark, the brother, storms off and mm-hmm. leaves. Because I think there's a very brief confrontation where he explains that he's home because he got fired again, and Leslie expresses concern, and that's mm-hmm. when he storms and, out. Okay, so mostly the interaction is between Leslie and Victor French. Michael Landon doesn't really Stow any Jonathan Smith witticisms onto Victor French? No. Jonathan Smith turns to Leslie and says, you know what, I'll go stop by Rex's bar and uh, check on your brother. Michael Landon doesn't even hang out and talk to Leslie after she invited him in and her brother finally left. He's like, I'm just going to go talk to your cantankerous brother down the street. And she's like, yeah, well, great. I worry so much about him. Right before he leaves, he turns to Leslie and says, maybe you should spend some time worrying about yourself for once. Let me ask you this question. If you had met a guy at work and then like a half a day later, you were like, I trust you. Go counsel my brother on my behalf. I mean, maybe if it's Michael Landon, but generally, no, no. We'll see how the series goes, but people are very welcoming to him. Does any angel magic happen before he gets to Rex's bar? Is this where his outfit changed? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. At one point, he just he changed from a t-shirt to a oh. blue button-up shirt. For you, Joel, as a viewer, were you just like instantaneously like, what? Yeah, I was it- like, wait a minute. He was just wearing a t-shirt earlier, and he was not leaving his own house. He went from someone else's house to some other location, and his uh, t-shirt changed. And he walks in, he sits down at the bar. They begin to have a conversation, a yeah, confrontational I, conversation. I think I missed something in my notes. I don't know if I have it, because they definitely, Mark did not want Jonathan to sit down next to him and at this point he seems like he's had a couple of beers surly says no one tries to make out with my sister one of them gets called a beaver face (laughs) i don't i don't remember that i can't believe i forgot that i think i think (laughs) michael landon maybe calls him a beaver face michael landon is the one throwing around an insult the beaver face i could be wrong um one of my favorite parts though here is where jonathan smith grabs michael by the forearm and he's so strong. It reminded me of one of those scenes like when the Terminator grabs like a big muscle-bound guys by the fist and they just go, whoa, whoa. It sobers him up. And he's just like, 
like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, okay, we're not going to fight. But I think that's what led them into having a better conversation because that's the one thing that I wrote down from their conversation. If we want to get into 80s tropes, Mark starts talking about his sister, Leslie, and he's very concerned about her. And he says, Leslie hasn't had a date in five years. All she does is sit at home and read a book every night. And keep in mind, Leslie's pretty cute. She's a mm-hmm. very attractive woman. But Leslie hasn't had a date because she reads too many books and she's plain and smart. And those plain smart girls who read books, they never get dates. I'd also say on Leslie's behalf that I don't think uh, Victor French as her brother is doing her any favors in her dating life. I don't think so. The conflict between these two men is dissipated after the wrist grab to end all wrist grabs. But Victor French starts off hot and heavy, you said, where he's like, nobody makes out with my sister. Well, let's face it, Victor French, none of that happened. Michael Landon just like literally walked in the door. You're there on the couch drinking a beer and uh, there's no making out to be had. Nope. Partly because Michael Landon is, well, let's face it, he's too nice. He wanted to follow Mark down to the bar and like fix Mark's problems. Michael Landon could have stayed and had dinner with Leslie. He probably didn't have anything at the bar. Did he order a beer at the bar? Oh, I don't think so. Did he? No, I don't think so. Okay. But so now they're kind of on the same page now. But now the conflict goes back up and I feel like this was one of your favorite scenes, Joel. The bar fight. Yes. Get ready. Mark goes to leave the bar. I can't remember what sets off the other people at the bar. Oh, I remember. Mark's not acting on his best behavior. You know, he's a little tipsy and he sees a woman who it's somewhat insinuated. Maybe he used to date her. Maybe he disappointed her physically in the bedroom because he's such an alcoholic. I mean, who knows? That's really the underlying implied for sure. But he gets up and very aggressively and clumsily starts trying to dance with her because this is kind of a honky-tonk country bar and there's country music playing in the background. He's clumsily sort of grabbing at her and trying to get her to dance and she's not into it. Not very aggressively, but also trying to be like, no, I'm here with somebody else. Yes. And so he gets taken outside by the friends and the friends start fighting with him. But then John comes out and just like totally turns into the Terminator and just picks up the friends who are trying to defend the honor of their female companion. Yes. And he basically just picks him up and throws him through like cardboard boxes. Mm -hmm. Like a pile of boxes out by the dumpster out back. So you see bodies flying into cardboard boxes. Does it get crazy? Do you see on camera Michael Landon like lifting a man over his head before he chucks them into a pile of boxes in the alley? I recall a uh, grabbing the the throat of your sh- your shirt and maybe lifting them off the ground. Was there a shot sort of like where you see Michael Landon's feet and then also the other man's feet in the alley? You see the person getting lifted up's feet where they're like clearly off the ground. You watch this. Right? I did not watch this, but I come <laughs> to this show from a filmmaker's perspective. I just want to know what the footage available for my movie in my brain is. Yeah, and I think it's pretty clear that Jonathan just doesn't need to show off that much. So he's just straight arm flinging dudes into cardboard boxes. How many dudes? There's got to be at least three or four dudes looking yeah. out for this ex-girlfriends three. of Mark's that actually needs the protection. He had reason to be beaten up. Not yes. that we condone that, but you know. Mark is more important to the plot because right. he's Leslie's, Lindsay's, who 
Leslie's. He's Leslie's brother. He's the secondary character. Michael Landon is going to side with him, even though he he had an ass kicking coming and he should have gotten it. Yes, that sounds right. I don't quite remember. I have a quote written from the fight and I can't remember when it was said, but at some point they were talking about fighting and Jonathan said, I turn the other cheek. But that doesn't, he didn't really. He didn't. No. I believe he got punched in the face and then he maybe was like, you can punch me again. I turn the other cheek. But and the guy punches him again and then he beats he everybody through up. him. So uh, he saves Mark in the alley and then they must limp off together down the alley. Yeah. Do you remember? I feel like that's kind of just end scene. It just scene. fades to scene and then the next Yeah. Then we're at the next right morning. John shows up at Leslie's apartment with bicycles. Two bicycles. Not a tandem bicycle. That would be a little too Muppet movie, a little too on the nose. Good morning. Good morning. How do you like it? What? Our new bicycles. Our bicycles? Yeah. I thought it'd be a lot more fun to ride to work than walk. You know, get a little cool air in your face, wakes you up in the morning. Well, I couldn't. I haven't ridden a bicycle in since I was a little girl. Come on, riding a bicycle is just like, like swimming. You never forget how to do it. No, I couldn't really. Where did you get them? Oh, a friend of mine gave them to me. Where do you get all these friends? You've only just come to town. I guess I have a way with people. Now, come on, man up. Really, I can't. I mean, aren't we a little too old to be riding bikes to work? Leslie, being afraid has nothing to do with being too old. I'm not afraid. Then get on your bike. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) But you'll see. All right, I'll see. You lead the way. Go! Montage of them bike riding. It's a sunny day. Lots of laughing, right? They're biking through this looks like downtown small town biking on the sidewalk, but you know, 80s. You know, let me just stop you right there. I lived in the kind of crappy small town where if I rode my bike on the sidewalk, old ladies driving their cars on the street would honk at me and be like, Get off the sidewalk! If I was not riding on the sidewalk, then an old lady would pass me in her car, honk her horn at me and be like, You need to ride that bike on the sidewalk! Similar upbringing. That's a dark corner of my brain, guys. I did have a couple questions. Given the length of the montage and how much fun was had on this bicycle ride, has he angel magic a romantic picnic? No, they're downtown small town, so we're looking at storefronts. Okay. And we've stopped in front of a women's clothing store, and there's a mannequin with a very lovely blue uh, sundress on. Oh, excellent. They're, <laughs> they're looking at the dress, and Jonathan turns to Leslie and says, uh, you'd look great in that dress. Smooth move. Yeah. yeah. So she smiles, and he has magic angel money in his pocket, so he buys her a dress nope. before they go to work. No? Nope. Then they just hop nope. back on their bikes yeah. and go to work. Planting more seeds. <laughs> Planting more seeds for later narratives. Okay. And those seeds will bloom. Well, you know what else has bloomed? Those flowers that Jonathan planted doubled in size overnight. Yeah. Amazing. It is. It's almost a miracle. Even one of the older residents, Sid, and he's like, this is great. Look at all of this. And to paint the scene a little bit, uh-huh. Jonathan's outside looking at the flowers Sid is actually on the first floor leaning out of the window talking to Jonathan. I love this guy. It's almost as if Jonathan's literally pulling him out the window (laughs) with this garden. So Sid is pro-Michael Landon working at the long-term care facility. The next thing that happens is the backyard is filled with old folks, and they're all gardening. 
Yes, of course. All these lucid people without any physical or mental deficiencies are living out their twilight years in the quadrangle, and they're getting down and dirty. Are we planting more chrysanthemums, or are we seeing different sorts of plants? I don't know. They were just kind of milling around. Well, and really I yeah. could do any close-ups of them, but when, laughing. But with this is happening, Mr. Haskins, the administrator, comes out. And of course, to character, he is not happy. He says, we're dealing with old people here. And I have to bring up at this point... I'm kind of team Mr. Haskins. Go on. I work part-time in a long-term care rehab facility. Basically, my job is to help old people who are sick or recovering from illness or have dementia get strong enough to go back home. And they fall over a lot. And they're really unsafe. And they get hurt when they fall over. So when I saw all those old people sitting on the ground... Gardening, standing on ladders, multiple people were. Oh, standing on ladders. I kind of was on Mr. Haskins' side. I was just like, oh, Jonathan, I don't think this is a good idea. But then I realized none of them actually needed to be in the nursing home. Okay. I guess it was okay. And Jonathan's like, yeah, they want to be out here. (laughs) And Mr. Haskins says a line that I liked. He said, well, what they want and what's best for them are two different things. And I was like, you're kind of right there. That's okay. Okay. Another point for Haskins. I think the scene might end with actually a, a shot of Leslie just staring at Jonathan, like smiling, looking at him adoringly. Because she likes what's happening with Michael Landon. He came into town. He's rustling Haskins' feathers. She likes his haircut. She rode a bicycle with him. They had a great yeah. time. They loved it. so it. much fun. I'm sure it was the most fun that they've had at Hillcrest in many, many years. Mm-hmm. The next scene that starts up, Michael Landon's absent, and it starts with Sid. And Sid is bringing flowers to Estelle. And what is Estelle's reaction to such a gesture? Says, uh, tells her to leave. She says, leave me alone. Sid says, you are rude, but I love you. The thing that I noticed, I really feel like Estelle was setting up some firm boundaries. She made it very clear to Sid she didn't want him to talk to her. She didn't want him in her room. And Sid's just not respecting those boundaries at all. I was getting a little mad at Sid. And he frequently brought up the fact that he was a Jew and she was a Gentile. Got brought up several times. So that's a bit of like, I I want this forbidden love. She's like, you don't even know who I am. How can you be in love with me? Sid says, know you, I do. Better than you do, and you don't want to be alone. Can I do that line in the voice of Yoda? (laughs) No, you I do. Better than you do, and you don't want to be alone. What do you think? That's pretty pretty much... Almost how it was delivered, I think. Uh, good, good. I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. That yeah, was just for that was you. Great, thanks. Sid's got the hots for Estelle, and Estelle is Estelle is standing up for herself. She keeps saying, "You know what? My daughter's going to show up and get me out of here. This is just temporary." So then the scene between Sid and Estelle is over, I yeah. presume, and End we're scene. on to something else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Brother Mark is then talking with Leslie, yeah. and he shares his suspicions about John. Let me ask you something. Don't you think it's just a little strange that people just give him things? I mean, why him? I drove by Havencrest today. Do you have any idea what those plants would cost? What about the bicycles? Those are not throwaways, you know. And a barbecue today. Where do you get the money for all that food? Did you ask him about that? Yes. I felt very bad that he paid for it. What did he say? He said not to worry about it. Yeah. Well, I don't know too many independently wealthy maintenance men in this world. I don't trust them. The trouble with you is you don't trust anybody. 
so Victor French isn't buying what Michael Landon's laying down. And I do think that there was that scene where Jonathan grabs him by the forearm using his Terminator strength. Oh, I forgot about it, that part. While it worked good on like de-escalating, I think it definitely left with a lasting, like there's only a reason a guy's this strong and he's probably done prison time or something. Or he's a robot from the future <laughs> sent to kill you in the past so that the future robot singularity can be fully realized. Does Victor French think that Michael Landon is the Terminator? He has done nothing to dissuade him from that notion. <laughs> okay, so he comes to Leslie and he's like, think about the bikes. Where are these flowers coming from? And then also, he grabbed my arm really hard and it hurt my feelings. Which I understand. I mean, like, if someone had saved me from a fight, that wouldn't necessarily make me trust them or believe them. Or it would just mean that they are more powerful than I expected. And it would potentially make me more suspicious. I mean, think back. So we've all known each other for a while. Sam and Joel, you two have known each other longer probably than I've known you. I just want the record to state that I have viewed both of you as my friends for as long as I've known you. But so think back when you first... I haven't asked you to do nearly as many things for free (laughs) as I have of your husband. It took a few more years. Yes. Think back to when you first met Sam. Can you remember, Joel? If you had just met Sam, and that night you had gone out to a bar and somehow gotten in a fight, and this guy who you just met all of a sudden like whomps all these other guys. I mean, would you be super suspicious? Does that help at all? I would be suspicious, especially if it was that, and I go, oh, this guy I barely know, like just cream three guys at a bar. How does Leslie receive this message from Mark? She's going to invite Jonathan to dinner. And we'll see who's who and what's what. Okay, so next scene. Are we at dinner? We're back at the old folks' home. Is this still part one of Highway to Heaven? Yes. Okay, great. Jonathan is in Estelle's room and has a box. And he hands her this box. And inside is a little ghost-eyed puppy. Just the cutest the puppy cutest you've puppy. ever seen. Oh. A little ball of fluff. brown and black fluff with little rings of white around Big its white eyes. Big eyes. ears. Just so cute. This sounds against protocol right away, but I'm sure it brings an immense amount of sunshine onto Estelle's face. Well, she doesn't want the She's puppy. She's like, I don't I want mean, anything to do with it. She doesn't want the puppy? No. Michael slash Jonathan, he sells it because he tells her that this is his puppy that he just got, but because of his new job, he doesn't have time to take care of the puppy. So he he would like Estelle to watch the puppy while he's at work. Socialize but that's it. also going to mean that she needs to socialize it. She needs yeah. to take it out on walks. And by the way, the puppy doesn't have a name. So we asked Estelle to name the puppy too. So he just couches it all as a big favor to him. There isn't any suspicion that Estelle is the Antichrist because we all know one of the cardinal rules of the Antichrist is that as soon as it has a dog, the Antichrist <laughs> must name its dog. And then Armageddon may begin. Well, in this case, she names the Antichrist dog Poofy. Okay, okay. So maybe Estelle isn't the Antichrist. Does she begrudgingly accept the task of the puppy care? I think that's a hallmark of John's asks. Jonathan gives a spiel and people go, okay. She's going to co-parent a dog with Michael Landon. Yes. Until he skips town and then this dog has no place to be at night. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. So uh, I can only assume we're going to dinner. 
we're following Mark around. He's out on the beat, like a gumshoe. He's doing a little a side gun hustle. slash bike shop. Guns oh, yeah. and bikes. I think it's actually a bike shop. I think that's what it says on the outside, the bike shop. But then there's a huge display of guns behind the counter. And the guy behind the counter is selling a gun to someone as yeah. Mark's browsing the bikes. I kind of feel like a pawn shop. But from the outside, it definitely, they put bikes up in the windows. Mm -hmm. He asks him if he's given any bikes off uh, yeah. to any friends recently. He's trying to track down where Jonathan got the bikes. And the guy's like, ah, why would I do that? I didn't need to sell them. He gets kind of mad. He goes, I'm not giving you any free bikes. And then Mark asks if he's had any bikes stolen or if he's heard of any bikes being stolen. Okay. The guy's just, no. Inconclusive on both fronts. Dead lead, I think they call it in the PI world. That's a dead lead. Okay, so then what happens? Are we still following Mark? Then the show ends. Then the show ends. <laughs> oh, and, and that ends part one. Yeah. So no bikes have been stolen. Nobody's given away any bikes to any friends. Estelle's heart is still shut. We're kind of pulling for Mr. Haskins. And then Leslie's cooking dinner. That's the end of part one. Very abrupt. Well, I think this is a great time for a little pee break for the uh, host of this show, as well as the moderator. We'll be back with part two of the pilot series of Highway to Heaven. Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. Visit our website, highwaytoheavenrevisited.com, to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting Highway to Heaven Revisited on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highway to heaven revisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to patreon patrons is your company interested in sponsoring highway to heaven revisited please send an email to highway to heaven revisited at gmail.com sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show intermission is over all right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to start unwrapping the second episode, part two of the pilot movie of Highway to Heaven. Rachel, how does part two begin? We're back at the nursing home. Sid is bothering Estelle again. Well, fancy meeting you here. Mr. Gold, I'm trying to walk my dog. Am I stopping you? That's a nice doggy. Listen, now that you're out of your room... I thought we might have dinner together in the dining room. No, thank you. Why not? I'm not such a bad person. We could talk a little. I can't. I, I can't leave Puffy alone. Puffy? My dog. He's only a puppy. I can't leave him. Listen to this. Suppose I bring the trays down to your room and we have dinner there. More private. Mr. Gold, you ought to be ashamed. Of what? Flirting at your age. Listen to this. Do you know how old George Burns is? You're not George Burns. This I know. If I was George Burns, you'd have to be 20 years old for me to ask you to dinner. 
Good day, Mr. Gold. I'm pretty sure she tells him to leave multiple times, and so he does, but he always has to get the last word in. I'm getting a little frustrated with Sid at this point. How would you feel as a staff member having to intervene in this scenario with Sid just being relentlessly horny for Estelle? I'd be like, Sid, cut it out, or I'm going to have to fill out so much paperwork, and we might have to put a sign across the door that says, Sid, stay out. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. That would really send a message. (laughs) (laughs) So as Sid is leaving... So he turns back and he says... The difference between us is I still have feelings. Somehow that leads to her agreeing to go out on a date with him. So, you know, it's just sending the message that we all grew up with, which is just don't listen to a woman if she tells you no. Just keep pursuing her. Uh, Similar rules apply in telemarketing. Yeah. So we cut to uh, Leslie looking in the mirror at her home. Leslie has gone out and purchased the blue dress that Michael said she would look pretty in. And she's putting on makeup. And she says to herself, I look pretty. Mm. Mm-hmm. I find that a bit troubling. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I am anti-angel hypnotism. <laughs> I don't really enjoy the fact that Michael Landon was like, you'd look pretty in that, but even though I have magic angel money in my pocket, I'm not going to buy it for you. And now you're standing in front of the mirror saying, I look pretty. Mm-hmm. And we all know why she's doing it. I have a feeling this might be like a recurring troubling theme for me of Michael Landon like dangling the carrot and then being chased. Yeah. Because this is where I was really curious about is to see how they would balance this out. What happens in this scenario is they cut to Mark who's breaking into John's place. Mark's mm-hmm. taking a little bit of the self-appointed position of private investigator for his sister. He's taking it very seriously, doing a little B&E on the side. That is accurate. He goes through his house. The closet's empty, opens up the fridge. Nothing's in the fridge. There's nothing in the fridge. The cupboards are all empty. He's looking on really suspicious, like this is, this is like a front for something. Were you guys at all disappointed that when he opened the closet that there weren't actually like 20 matching leather jackets and like 16 pairs of jeans. I know you spent a little time in the military, Joel. Did you have to do that thing where you like shine your shoes and then you have to measure how far your coat hangers are away from each other? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. If I can recall, hangers are two finger widths apart. Your t-shirts are all rolled up to the same width as a dollar bill. Socks are rolled each individually and presented as though they have a smiley face. Interesting. Rachel, as Joel's wife, does Joel still pack his drawers like this? He kind of does. Joel was pretty much done with the military by the time I met him. I think you were still in for a year or so, just going to National Guard weekends. Okay. But yeah, the drawers are very orderly. You should look when you come over sometime, Sam. Well, I'm not trying to bust you out on your drawer organization. You know, I've got a certain way I like to fold my shirts. And man, if like the military way of putting your socks together in a drawer still works for you. Yeah, I never put that together before. So clearly there's something amiss. Mark is very disappointed because he can't find a shred of evidence to pin on what Michael Landon is doing. To quote what he says to Michael Landon, he says, you have no food, no razor, no clothes. This place is a front. When Victor French says this place is a front, what does that imply in sort of like the 80s gaze? Well, I think my 80s brain, when I would hear the front, would just picture it's a front for something, would just picture like generic, shady looking men sitting around tables, shuffling papers, and maybe drugs in the background. With the 80s, the default was anything nefarious always has to do with drugs. But the idea of that this place is a front would imply like a shell business kind of a thing. But I feel like that's 
it a step too far. Is there any implication that Michael Landon might be a married man who's just like, he's got his own apartment, but he's trying to get with my sister. He's like trying to get a mistress. I didn't imagine that, but that does answer a lot of questions. Yeah, I had not considered that either, but wow, that's pretty, that's a good theory. Thank you. I mean, this is just the kind of stunning insight you can get from not watching the show Mm -hmm. and talking about it with your friends. Okay, continue, please. There are at Leslie's, which is like next door. She's making dinner. She's making dinner. She's got she's got some chicken and peppers in the oven, but it's gonna take like an hour to finish. And she says, "Oh, I'm gonna make some onion dip so our stomachs don't growl while we're waiting." Huh. And she goes in the fridge, and all of a sudden she realizes she forgot the sour cream to make the onion dip. She forgot yeah, the sour cream. Like disaster. But then Jonathan says, "Oh, I have sour cream back at my house. Oh, yeah, no problem." But does he have sour cream at his house? We've just seen he doesn't. He doesn't have anything at his house. Nothing in his house. So as the audience, we're like, wait, he doesn't have any food. I don't know if I'm on Michael Landon's side. So Michael Landon goes back to his apartment. Is Mark still there? Yes. Yes. Oh. Can I help you, Mark? Yeah, you can help me. You can help me by telling me what you're after. I don't know what you mean. Come on, don't play Mickey the Dunce with me. I've been there. I know the difference between a straight John and a con man. Now, you want to talk to me, you want to talk to the cops. Go on. I have been to every nursery, every bicycle shop in this town. None of them ever heard of you. Now, can you explain that to me? I'd rather not. And what about this place? I mean, you've got no clothes. You don't have any food. You don't even have a toothbrush or a razor. You don't live here. This place is a front. I want some answers, Mr. Smith. Look, all I can tell you is I'm just doing my job. I'm not here to hurt anybody. Please believe me. Sound like all the rest of them. I'm innocent. Please believe me. Now, I'm going to tell you one more time. Either you talk to me or I call the cops. If you do that, I'll have to leave before my job's done. Then talk. If I tell you, you're not going to believe me anyway. <sighs> Try me. All right. In my job, I'm sent to various places by my boss to try to help people. Go on. I'd like to leave it at that. Yeah, I bet you would. Come on, come on now. What is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss is God. Oh, boy, oh, boy. My sister really picked a winner. I mean, you're nothing but a kook. I told you you wouldn't believe me. And you were right. Listen, I don't know whether you're a harmless kook or a dangerous kook, but I'll tell you one thing. I am not leaving you alone with my sister, not until the police have a chance to check you out. And at this point... Mark tries to get out of the apartment and Jonathan locks the door with his angel powers. Oh, yeah. I'll let you leave in a minute. What do you mean you let me leave? Just what I said. You wanted the truth, I'm giving it to you. I'm an angel. Not one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Bicycles were a mistake. But he let me have them. He? Yeah, God. Guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Listen, friend, you need help. Yes, I do. I need your help. Whoa. That will be a statement that, like, rings true for this entire show. Absolutely. I need your help, Mark. And then he tells him, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, stick around here. There'll be a steak waiting for you in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets resolved pretty quickly. There's definitely a callback to you need to trust me and people don't trust each other anymore. Yeah, okay. And then Mark's just like, oh. Yeah, okay. So Michael Landon promises endless food out of refrigerators across America. Mm-hmm. And Mark's like, yeah, okay. That and I'm terrified that you can lock any door of any room that I'm in. <laughs> 
So I guess I'm cool. Yeah, I'll be your best friend. Don't murder me. And so then Jonathan goes back over to um, Lindsay's house. Oh, so Mark gets free food at Michael Landon's house, and Michael Landon goes back to Leslie's place. When Jonathan walks back into Leslie's apartment, Leslie is actually on the phone looking somewhat upset. She's obviously getting some bad news. The nursing home is closing on Friday. You know, Mr. Haskins said that was going to happen in part one. Estelle is on the phone. So Leslie gave Estelle her phone number, apparently, to call her at home. As a healthcare industry worker, is this appropriate to give out your personal phone number to people you work around? No. (laughs) Is Leslie bad at her job? I think it was a different time. It was a different time. People change. In the words of uh, Jonathan Smith, people change, Sam. So what day is it in the show? They said it's going to close on Friday on the phone? It's, there's not a lot of time. That's implied. Yeah. Not a lot of time. All right, let's Less just say than a week. Less than a week. Okay. What we see next is a skyscraper, and then we see uh, like a tracking shot going down a hallway into an office. We see the back of someone on a very modern exercise bike. I can only imagine that this is a highfalutin, powerful person in the city who is responsible for closing down this long-term care rehab facility because he knows nothing of the people who live there, and he doesn't care about them as human beings. This is Mr. Sinclair. We find out his nickname was Cubby. That is the kind of thing you do with a villain. You give him a really cute name, like a little teddy bear. First of all, I actually got really confused at this scene because we Mm -hmm. see Cubby on his exercise bike, and we see Jonathan like creeping in, and I turned to Joel and I was like, do we know who this guy is? So Jonathan is creeping in and Cubby again is like understandably startled. And he's like, what are you doing in my office? Um, and I, I can't remember exactly what Jonathan says, but he makes it okay. He's like, I'm just here, dude. Don't I'm really gentle yeah. uh, and handsome mm-hmm. and my hair looks great. Don't worry yeah. about it, dude. And so he, do- he does tell him it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death, Cubby. Cubby? Where'd you get that from? A friend of mine. I haven't heard that name since I left high school. Allison Drake used to call me that. I know. My friend told me. (laughs) Boy, it's a small world, isn't it? Very small. We were going to get married, but our parents were against it. It was hers, really. I I didn't have a dime. That's when I went out in the world to make my fortune. And I see you did. Do you know where she is now? She passed away a few years ago. Allison's dead. So Jonathan tells Cubby, you waited too long, man. Allison's dead. She waited for you. Mm -hmm. I guess you were too busy. Too busy riding your exercise bike. And then Cubby says, it's a cold world. Jonathan says, people make it that way, Cubby. People make it that way. So long story short, what's going on is Cubby is the one who's going to buy the long-term care facility. So Jonathan is there to make a counteroffer and try to get a chance to purchase it himself, get a little more time. And after this troubling story, something is tugged on Cubby's heartstrings and he agrees to give them until six o'clock tomorrow. Something is tugged on Cubby's heartstrings. Somebody has hacked at Cubby with a hatchet on his bone marrow. (laughs) Here's where my mind is going. Is Michael Landon just going to pull out some angel monopoly money out of his pocket and then the administration of said medical facility? Is it just going to be like clandestinely operated by the guy upstairs? It's not quite that simple. You have the ability to lock and unlock doors, to be super strong, to make steaks and sour cream appear and disappear. Can you just make money 
appear yes. and disappear? Which is actually a very good question that Mark asks Jonathan in the next scene. He basically is asking him why he can't just use his powers to save the long-term care facility. I can only do what the boss will let me do. So what you're telling me right now, guys, is that Michael Landon can literally angel magic anything into existence except large sums of money. Well, he can if the boss will let him, which does kind of bring up some theological issues. Basically, Where does you, that money come you from? can do whatever you want and God will either let it be okay or he won't, right? Because he makes the rules. Yeah, so do whatever you want and just wait for judgment? Basically. I mean, that's kind of what Mark's saying. Well, Mark comes up with a really good idea. Bake sale? That that's what I would have be gone with. Uh, racetrack. Let's bet on the ponies. Oh, okay. Let's place a wager on the ponies. <laughs> and you might remember, as we just established, Jonathan doesn't have any money. Mark and Leslie don't have any money. So where do you think the money's going to come from? The old folks. He asked for their savings. And their social security checks. And their social security checks. This is highly troubling to me. <laughs> So Mark, who we've already established, is gone rogue with some P-I-B-N-E's. Mm -hmm. Now he's literally showing up at the old folks' home and being like, Estelle, Sid, all your money. We're going to go bet it on the ponies and we'll save your house. I mean, he does bring them together and ask them, but the residents' response, one of them says, Well, what are we waiting for? Let's cash our checks and get to the track. The next scene shows a flatbed pickup truck driving down a dusty road and in the top all the old folks are standing in the back end they're standing at least a dozen of them standing all in the back them. all of them are all, all standing and the bed of the truck is open and flashback to the first episode it's our old friend Clyde the grumpy truck driver who didn't want to give Jonathan a ride <laughs> is now driving all the senior citizens and Jonathan and Mark and Leslie to the horse track you guys remember that uh, Wilford Brimley Ron Howard movie Cocoon where the old people are at some point they just feel young again and they start doing crazy Crazy things like jumping into the swimming pool. Do you feel like the morale has been lifted to a point in this long-term care rehab facility where like just the sheer association with Michael Landon is just bringing everybody joy and making them forget it's peeling away the years? Yes, it's definitely the Michael Landon effect, which I think we will continue to see throughout the series. Reminded me of, I believe it was in Twilight Zone, the movie. There's like the kick the can episode where everyone goes back oh, and yeah. children again, Scatman Carruthers. That was a good one. So they get to the track. Nobody falls out and dies. When they get to the track, what occurs? The first big question is really, how does John know which horse to bet on? And John's like, I think my boss is just going to let me know. Yes, it comes back to the gods. Either going to let us win or he won't. And he sees a horse walk by with number five written on it. For some reason, he's just like, I think that's the one. Number five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one time I heard on a cooking show that the number five is a good luck number for uh, the Chinese, I believe. There was a chef that was served a dish of four fried shrimp. And he's like, hmm, it's a shame it couldn't be five because that is the traditional number of good luck. Do you think that that ties into anything? Probably. I see nothing to dissuade you from that notion. Great. I'm glad you're all on board with this. They pick number five because it had something to do with Chinese mythology. And then uh, one of them, Mark, maybe asks, hey, what's the horse's name? Jonathan says, Laura Ingalls Wilder. Close. Oh. Devil's Lad. Ooh. Good luck, bad luck. All wrapped up into one strong pony. The announcement of that name, John looks up at the sky with guilt. And then we cut to a little boy getting his nose blown. 
<laughs> for some reason. <laughs> Forgot about that. Is he at the racetrack, or are we just totally somewhere else? At the racetrack. Yeah, I forgot about that. I think I turned to you and said, "Did what? <laughs> Did we miss something?" Did you guys rewind to make sure that you hadn't like had an alien abduction occur or something where there's like lost time? We didn't, but maybe we should. We should have. And then at this time, Sid then goes to place the bet. So Michael Landon looks up into the sky guiltily because his horsey has the D word in its name. Mm-hmm. A kid has a booger in the stands. <laughs> and then Michael Landon goes to place Sid, the bet. Sid Goldman goes in. He holds up the line. Yeah, he's just standing in line and everyone's staring at him like, like, oh my gosh, what's this old man doing? Come on, come on, you got a line behind you. Now five minutes, five minutes to post time. Old timer. Are you all right? I'm fine. Just praying. When Sid is praying, which God is he praying to? Is it the Jewish God or the Christian God? What about the Chinese philosophy, theology, number five God? Well, I certainly hope that he just doesn't switch his side of the fence because he's got a wang on for Estelle. Does Sid give us any nuggets? He really doesn't. Once he finishes praying, he goes up and places his bet on number five. Number five. on five. Devil's lad. Yep. Cut to the race. Everyone's standing along the railing. I don't know what it's called. They're on the outside of the track, but all the... The Proscenium? I think it's the the perennium. quadrangle. They're all watching the race. So then there's a racing montage, Mm -hmm. I'd assume, where people are like cheering and clapping and horses are like, ah, on your mark. Oh, yeah. Five takes off. What do you think happens, Sam? Oh, well... I'm going to wager, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, that Devil's Lad wins the race. Wrong. Devil's Lad comes in second. Devil's Lad comes in second. Did Sid place a clever enough bet to cover the outcome of said race? No, he put all of his money on one of the horses. But it just so happens the person behind the counter, who wasn't patient with this older man, Put it on horse number six. He made a mistake. Guy behind the counter made a but mistake. But it wasn't a mistake. It was horse God's number six won. intervention. So after all of that, the horse with the awful D word in his name did not win. And luckily, the there was a clerical error. At first, when I found out they really hadn't won, when the horse came in second, I felt some sort of relief because everything I've learned throughout my life is that gambling is a sin. And I did not think God was going to let them win. I mean, I thought they were going to pull sense. it off somehow. But so mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you got what you deserve. Yeah. But I guess gambling is okay as long as there's a clerical error yeah. involved. Yeah, they okay. just muddied the water enough that it wasn't clearly wrong. Mm-hmm. So there was much rejoicing. Rejoicing amongst the crowd that they got their money. They saved the clock tower. That was the thing it reminded me of is like Back to the Future 2. You get the book on the sports almanac. Gods are sports almanac. We do have a good moment when we get back to the nursing home. (laughs) They all come in and they're super excited. And there is Mr. Haskins there just throwing his hands in the air because he doesn't know where everybody was. And he says, where were you? What's going on? And they tell him, your days are numbered. We are buying the nursing home. The residents Mm -hmm. of the nursing home are buying the nursing home. They're buying the nursing home. They're going to go into like a commune situation. And so they do tell Mr. Haskins, and I did think of this because they still need an administrator, that they'll let him stay on if he shapes up and gets with the program. And then he kind of just like walks off in a huff. 
So we're left with the open question about whether or not Mr. Haskins stuck around to work there. Right. That's one of the few unanswered questions. I personally, as a viewer, would just hope that Mr. Haskins would quit and move on because he seems like a bad apple to me. Yeah, he doesn't really seem happy at his job. So I think it would be best if he moved on. I think he's walking around with a level of anxiety that's just not good for him. Cut to a big party. Sid and Estelle are dancing together. Mm-hmm. They kiss. Oh, mm-hmm. There's one thing we haven't said about Estelle. It's found out that her daughter isn't coming for her. Oh, yeah, we skipped over that. Okay, right so that Estelle's area. daughter isn't coming to get her. Is that because no. Estelle's daughter is imaginary? No, Estelle's daughter is real. She's just not very nice. She's having too much fun But it could be argued up. maybe Estelle's not very nice. She lives in a big house with plenty of rooms, the daughter, and she doesn't even have to work. So she has nothing to do with her days, uh-huh. but she doesn't want Estelle to live with her. Estelle is not welcome. Yes, so she's she... got to go find her own happiness mm-hmm. now. There's Sid. Sid is now, after that, appears less of a threat and more of just... A at least for now, a temporary escape. And then this is when uh, John goes up to Leslie and says, I gotta go. Leslie's wearing the blue dress. Does he even acknowledge the blue dress? No. No. That is troubling to me. Well, and so what actually happens is Jonathan and Mark are talking. That's right. Before Leslie finds out. They kind of go off to the side and Jonathan tells Mark he has to go because the job is done. The job's done. I got to go. This is where I started getting quantum leap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure how we got here, but they start talking about Leslie. Here, do you want to, maybe we should just do this one too. This is a good one. Okay, we got another reenactment. Do you want to be Michael Landon this time? Sure, I'll be Michael Landon. I'm all she's got. No, Mark. She's all you got. Mark and Jonathan hug. We hug. I couldn't have done that before I met you. The world doesn't stink. There's more than the six o'clock news. There's more than the six o'clock news? Yeah, there was uh, at one point at the very beginning, uh, he did mention there's more to life than just what you see on the six o'clock news. It's all there is to life is the awful things you see on the six o'clock news. Does Leslie show up at this point when they after they hug? No, no. Okay. Oh, Jonathan just leaves. Jonathan's like, I'm it's, leaving. It's, it's clear that Jonathan has changed Mark's life and Mark is happy about it. And Jonathan's just going to go. Okay, so Mark is the last person that Leslie talks to. Yes. How did Michael land and leave it with Leslie again? He just left. He just he, he, he leaves and doesn't say anything. Mark goes back and tells Leslie, she asks where Jonathan is, and he's like, he's gone. He's he left. left. And she's just like, I spent 20 bucks on this fucking dress. She's still wearing it, and she runs runs to his apartment to find him. And Um, there was nothing there. Except Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson, the former political candidate who went down after he knew nothing about Aleppo. That Gary Johnson? No, Gary Johnson, the handsome new neighbor. And luckily for Leslie, she's in this wonderful blue dress. Yeah, and she's wearing makeup again. And they hit it off. Does she look good in the blue dress like like Michael Landon said she would? Yeah. He was right about that. Does Leslie look anything like Karen Allen? Do you remember the show that my mom loved in the 1980s? It was called Kate and Allie. I have vague recollections of Kate and Allie. I believe it came on right after Simon and Simon. Which was one of my favorite shows as a child. Fun fact. True fact. So she kind of looks like the brunette from Kate and Allie. I don't know what her name is. Can you think of who that is? No. Yeah, so uh, Tyne Daly? Tyne Daly? Maybe. If I'm wrong, uh, internet trolls, 
get at me. Yeah, and they're okay. making eyes at each other, and I think he says something like, oh, well, I hope to see you again, soon, yeah. neighbor. So her storyline is nicely wrapped up. The drought is going to be over for Leslie soon, despite a massive leading on by Michael Landon's character, Jonathan Smith. Yeah, it's still a little troubling. I feel like this is going to be a theme we're going to be running into in nearly almost every episode that doesn't involve like a male protagonist side character like if it's a woman i feel like they're going to be all hot and bothered and never fulfilled by uh michael landon's attitude here i have a feeling if there really were angels among us they just wouldn't be so handsome you're probably right So the show's not over, though. There's yeah. one more scene. So it's uh, it's probably, uh, what do you say, like a, a sunrise? Yeah. There's Lonely Road. Lonely Road, and Jonathan's walking down it. Leather jacket, Leather jeans. jeans. He's got his duffel bag slung over his shoulder. What's he got in the duffel bag? It's, I think it's like Felix's magic bag. It's just in case he needs to pull anything out, there's an answer to where it came from. You can say, oh, like it was in my duffel bag. So he's walking down the road. Car pulls up, stops, stops next to Jonathan. In left. What are you doing out here? Well, you told me to give Leslie a chance. That's what I'm doing. I told her I'd keep in touch. Uh, you didn't waste any time. Couldn't if I'm going to go with you. You know, wh- wait a minute. I can't do that. Come on. You said yourself last night, it's a lonely job. Look, I know what I said, but I... Listen, I already know everything about you. Listen, I, I want to help you help people. You can do that without me, Mark. Listen, please. Give me a chance. Doesn't work out, you can always send me back. It's not my decision to make. I'm sorry. You're telling me no, then. Then Jonathan reluctantly drives off. Mark drives off. Oh, yeah. Mark, yeah. Sorry. Mark drives Mark off. Mark reluctantly drives does he, off. Does a U turn. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Does a that U-turn. must have taken a minute. Mm-hmm. Does a U turn. Car breaks down. Again, about 100 yards away. About 100 yards away. Just uh, okay, call so back to the to the very beginning. Oh, so it was like, the boss. Like, so Michael's like, I, I didn't do that. Yeah, huh? and he does look at the he sky. At the he, sky. He, he makes a gesture of like, really? Kind of like, lifts his hands up, lifts his eyebrows. Yeah. Okay, so then I can only assume Michael Landon walks back up to Mark's car and gets in the car. He hops in. Hops in. Yeah. Starts end. right back up, and they yeah. drive off into the sunrise. You got yeah. it. That's amazing. Yeah. Would you recommend that the the listening audience out there really take the time to watch the two-part episode of Highway to Heaven? Once they've taken the time to listen to us explain it in detail? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it's worth it. it. I will say it was good, but it wasn't until about halfway through the second when they got in the pickup truck (laughs) that I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. And you really, you know, really have to stick around and see what happens. So yeah, it's worth it. The pacing's just right for a couple of these one-liners and you're like, oh man, I kept thinking, is this what the world's missing? (laughs) It is. It is. (laughs) Michael Landon. That's all we need. Well, he was gone too soon. I don't think he lived much into his 50s at all. No, 54, actually. They both lived to 54. Yeah, fun fact. I was looking at Michael Landon and Victor French, who were lifelong friends. Victor French was probably about 10 years older than Michael Landon. They both died when they were 54. That is... Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. Victor French, uh, Michael Landon, rest in peace. This was a small kernel of an idea I had as well for this show in general. I think we need to establish something called the Michael Landon factor. Mm. So on a quantifiable scale, 
how would you to rate the Michael Landon factor of this two-part pilot episode of Highway to Heaven? Should we go on a one to five scale or one to ten? How about we do ten on a scale of one to ten? I'm gonna say a solid ten. It was it was heavy. It was there. They were really just trying to introduce the Michael Landon factor. What about you, Joel? Nine Landons. All right. So for an overall Landon factor of 9.5. Wow. Yeah. So uh, let us know, ladies and gentlemen, how you grade the Landon factor of this episode. You'll be able to, I'm sure, contact us on the internet some way. I think we're going to have a hotline to heaven where if you are indeed a fan, why don't you call in? Why don't you let us know if we don't know what the hell we're talking about? Yeah. If you do have any questions or need any life advice, feel free to throw it out there. We can probably find some Michael Landon quotes that may apply to your situation. Yes. Uh, Joel, do you have anything left to add? I've been rambling on for years. The only thing that I would uh, I would add is each episode kind of has a moral lesson, whether it's something that's said or maybe the story overall. Here's the moral of the story for me. Um, the moral of the story is angels are magic, but not with money, and gambling's okay as long as it's a clerical error. Do you agree with that, That's Rachel? exactly what I was going to say. Rachel's just purely on board. Uh, Joel, do you have a different take on this? What lasted with me the most was basically saying that life isn't completely hopeless, but that if things are hopeless, it's not because life is completely hopeless. It's because humans have made it that way. And if humans have made it that way, then it can be changed. That's that's much deeper than mine. But I, I honestly believe that in my heart, that no matter how old you are, there is room for you to change and improve your behavior for those around you in your environment you know my takeaway on that note is just uh remember the story of clyde clyde at the start was Mm -hmm. just a grumpy old man but with the wise words of jonathan where he reminded him that kindness is free clyde turned himself around and ended up driving a pickup full of senior citizens to the track so be a clyde whenever you can That's great. And uh, I couldn't agree more, Rachel. Thanks for the three hours you've spent with us here listening to this uh, first episode of uh, this new Highway to Heaven podcast. I look forward to talking to you both again about many more episodes of Highway to Heaven. And uh, I think it's about time we say goodbye. I think so. Thank you very much, Sam. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. That little crook stole my car. I believe it. You lied to me, didn't you? You lied to me to protect yourself. We've done everything possible. Well, you are going to treat my son. You are going to make him well. You want to hear something spooky? What? I'm dying. Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the Hotline to Heaven. The number is 612-356-2495. That number again is 612-356-2495.
612 flow is fine. Your message might be played on the show. Or send the show an email at highway to heaven revisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited on iTunes. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Brian Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production.